You're listening to Shit Shooting 101. I'm your host, Joshua Lee. No Caroline this episode, so I'll be shit shooting solo. At the top of the show, I always like to address previous mistakes I've made in prior podcasts as to correct my course and improve thereon. You see, Caroline and I aren't the teachers of this class. We're merely the students learning the art of shit shooting one lesson at a time. Last episode, I said that Mars is the closest planet to Earth, when of course Venus holds the honor of orbiting closest to Earth, while Mercury stays closest the longest. Venus, the goddess of love, Mars, the god of war, and us in the middle of it all. Mercury, the infamous toxin in many vaccines as well as the god of speed and commerce. And oh, how vaccines are speed and commerce these days. For those of you new to the program, this is a podcast that employs the effects of alcoholic beverage, and thus conversation is bound to go awry at times. Last episode, I made the mistake of rolling noteless and lost my train of thought, and even made the mistake of using the word adjudicate when I meant exonerate. What I intended to explain was the case of Professor John Walker Smith, who lost his license for exposing the NMR vaccine and its link to autism. He has since been completely exonerated, boding well for his co-author, M.D. Andrew Wakefield, in his defamation lawsuit against Brian Deere, Fiona Godley, and the British Medical Journal for falsely accusing him of fraud. Justice John Mitting, in referring to the previous trial, stated that the court's decision was based on inadequate and superficial reasoning, in a number of instances, a wrong decision, thereby overturning the decision and restoring Walker Smith's name to the medical register. I urge everyone to research this case and the 1998 Lancet MMR paper, which exposed this travesty of big pharma manipulation. Of course, you will not find it mentioned anywhere in mainstream news, and good luck digging through all the disinformation on Google. My memory having been a bit fogged last episode, I blurred two stories together. The study I was referring to was reported by Dr. Hooker after having received information from a CDC whistleblower. This evidence showed the CDC manipulation of data, which proved that African-American boys who received the MMR vaccine before 36 months of age are 3.4 times more likely to to develop autism versus after 36 months. This certainly is no isolated incident of evidence detailing the dangers of vaccines. The CDC on March 2, 2020, defending itself in a lawsuit spurred by the Informed Consent Action Network, admitted they have no evidence that vaccines don't cause autism. What should be a pivotal moment in the vaccine dictatorship, although, once again, MSM crickets chirping, chirping, chirping. In the 1980s, routine DTP vaccinations were offered to children ages 6 to 35 months old in Guinea, although a significant percentage were not vaccinated. The comparative data later showed that the vaccine did protect against diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. However, the vaccinated children had a higher mortality rate than the unvaccinated children, showing the very reason vaccine companies adamantly refuse to do such a comparative study. This study evidences the fact that vaccines leave you more susceptible to various other causes of death. Again, mainstream media doesn't see this valuable enough information to report, and why should we require the available information to make decisions over the lives of ourselves and our children? The Nuremberg Code enforced a set of research ethics principles for human experimentation And yes, this vaccination, by all technicality, is indeed human experimentation and lack of long-term research. The Nuremberg Code detailed a system of 10 points to be lawfully followed. Um, Point 1. 
The voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. Of course, this point has continuously been ignored every vaccine that ever hits the market. Um, point two, the experiment should be such as to yield fruitful results for the good of society, unprocurable by other methods or means of study, and not random and unnecessary in nature. Unprocurable by other methods. Um, hydroxychloroquine, uh, vitamin D and zinc. These are other proven methods of treatment. And this vaccine is definitely unnecessary in nature considering overwhelming majority of asymptomatic cases. Not to mention the claim necessity of the vaccine resting on a manipulated database of mis misdiagnosed deaths and false positives. Point three, the experiment should be so designed and based on the results of animal experimentation and a knowledge of the natural history of the disease or other problem under study that the anticipated results will justify the performance of the experiment. In the COVID-19 vaccine trials, animal experimentation was fast-tracked to such an extreme extent that no empirical proof of safety and efficacy can be determined. Why would they sp speed through animal trials? Because every other attempt over the past 20 years at coronavirus vaccines pr proved highly dangerous. These animals in prior studies after vaccination when challenged with the virus experienced cytokine storm where the animal's immune systems attacked its own lungs and liver, having something like a sepsis response in the body. Point four, the experiment should be so conducted as to avoid all unnecessary physical and mental suffering and injury. Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and Johnson & Johnson have all reported side effects in trial participants after, after giving the shots. AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson were both forced to pause phase three human testing because several volunteers became so ill that health regulators became heavily concerned. Luke Hutchinson, a volunteer in Moderna's phase three trial, experienced full-on COVID-like symptoms after receiving the second shot. Hutchinson decided to go public about his experience because of worries that Moderna might not fully inform the public about the side effects of their vaccine. Pfizer's study showed symptoms of fatigue, headache, chills, muscle pain, joint pain, and flu-like symptoms. AstraZeneca's study resulted in two participants experiencing transverse myelitis, an inflammatory syndrome that affects the spinal cord and can result in paralysis. Johnson & Johnson halted its vaccine trial due to an unexplained illness. Of course, this illness wasn't disclosed because why should the public be privy to information that may one day affect them? Point five, no experiment should be conducted where there is an a priori reason to believe that death or disabling injury will occur, except perhaps in those experiments where the experimental physicians also serve as subjects. Now there's an idea. How about only using big pharma physicians as test subjects? Then perhaps they'll slow down these trials and work towards total safety for once. Point six, the degree of risk to be taken should never exceed that determined by the humanitarian importance of the problem to be solved by the experiment. Well, how much can we go on and on about this point? Seeing as this is a virus that kills less than 1%, even without eliminating the manipulated numbers, I'd say a rushed experimental vaccine that has exponential risk, foreseeable and unforeseeable, is way beyond the problem they're pretending to solve. Point seven. Proper preparation should be made and adequate facilities provided to protect the experimental subject against even remote possibilities of injury, disability, or death. Are we going to have the hospital space available for the vaccine injuries? I highly doubt it. Are the proper preparations being made? 
such as abandoning this unethical global experiment and making way for our proven immune systems? Nope. Point eight. The experiment should be conducted only by scientifically qualified persons. The highest degree of skill and care should be required through all stages of the experiment of those who conduct or engage in the experiment. Is this even possible for a warp speed vaccine being pushed by corrupt government workers with investments in the vaccines, studies funded by Bill and Melinda Gates with all the incentive in the world to have dangerous, ineffective, depopulating vaccines pushed upon everyone all over the world? Point nine. During the course of the experiment, the human subject should be at liberty to bring the experiment to an end if he has reached the physical or mental state where continuation of the experiment seems to him to be impossible. Unfortunately, the experiment cannot come to an end, as this vaccine has permanent consequences. Point 10. During the course of the experiment, the scientist in charge must be prepared to terminate the experiment at any stage if he has probable cause to believe in the in the exercise of good, uh, good faith, superior skill and careful judgment required of him that a continuation of the experiment is likely to result in injury, disability, or death to the experimental subject. Okay, well, I'd say it's time to terminate most vaccines by this standard, especially the COVID-19 vaccine. Are we going to wait until injuries and deaths occur worldwide before addressing this? And now we find ourselves facing down the barrel of a warp speed vaccine with innumerable known and unknown side effects in store for the entire world population. Money is the crack to our governments and they'll do whatever they have to do, harm whoever they have to harm to get their fix. In 1976, the CDC investigated the premature death of a 19 year old, Private David Lewis, who mysteriously died during a basic training exercise at Fort Dix. A greater mystery than the death, in my opinion, is why the CDC got involved in the case of one death to begin with. However, their blood tests revealed Lewis had contracted a type of swine flu that they mistakenly determined was a genetically modified 1918 influenza virus. Federal officials, just like today, spread fear porn far and wide projecting one million Americans would die during the 1976 flu season unless a mass vaccination program was enacted. And so President Gerald Ford called for a fast-track vaccine backed by the CDC and U.S. Secretary of Health. Of course, this all occurred during an election year, and Ford, Ford's critics accused him of playing political scare tactics. Ford, just like the political actors of today, had a publicized photo shoot of him receiving the vaccine to try to sway the public's trust. As the fear was spread of this new, more deadly version of the Spanish flu, Congress agreed to indemnify ph pharmaceutical companies for any adverse reactions to the rush vaccine, just as they are today. The advertisements of propaganda rolled out in full force and millions of Americans received the vaccines. Three senior citizens died of heart attacks shortly after vaccination and multiple states suspended the program. This began persuading the public against the vaccine and even more so when dozens of vaccine recipients were diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome. All this over one death and no swine flu cases reported outside of Fort Dix. In 1959, thalidomide was another rapid approved drug. It was introduced to counteract insomnia and nausea in pregnant women. It was withdrawn in 1962, but not before being marketed in 50 countries resulting in malformations in newborns. Does anyone remember the popular weight loss drug FinFin? 
It was allowed on the market for 24 years before being recalled when consumers began reporting heart disease and other pulmonary problems. Its victims were awarded close to $14 billion. The drug Baycol, manufactured by Bayer, remained on the market for four years, causing a severe muscle disorder called rhabdomyolysis that resulted in over 100,000 deaths. The drug maker Merck and the FDA both allowed Vioxx to remain on the market for five years, causing increased risk of heart attack and stroke. Approximately 140,000 people re were reported by the Lancet as suffering serious coronary heart disease, likely resulting from the arthritis medication, and this was in the U.S. alone. Pfizer. Oh, our beloved and ever-trustworthy, family-friendly, down-home, neighborly St. Pfizer. In 2009, entered the record books for the largest health care fraud settlement and the largest criminal fine of any kind for a total of $2.3 billion. But of course, you got to spend money to make money, right? Other Pfizer lawsuits include Chanix, Lipitor, Protonix, Depot Testosterone, Effexor, Zoloft, and the list goes on and on. And for those of you who somehow so blindly believe that Pfizer is a company working for the betterment of our health, in 1996, Pfizer conducted an unauthorized trial which tested the antibiotic Trovan on 200 children. This unapproved clinical trial involved children with meningitis in, of course, Nigeria, because where else other than third world countries would we test highly dangerous drugs without financial and judicial consequences? Of these 200 children, 11 died and dozens more were left disabled. We've allowed this pharmaceutical monarchy to usurp the throne and affect all of our world leaders and media platforms. We accepted the mask mandates despite the World Health Organization in January of 2020 stating, in individuals without respiratory symptoms, a medical mask is not required as no evidence is available in its usefulness to protect non-sick persons. This was echoed by the CDC and Fauci, as all mask studies showed no effectiveness against influenza infection and other coronaviruses. These studies now proving true against COVID-19, backed by the largest mask study to date published in the Annals of Internal Medicine. We ignored the research that showed long-term mask usage leaving us more prone to contracting COVID-19, as 85% of COVID positives wore the mask either always or often. We ignored the research that showed the negative health effects of masks, lowered oxygen levels, higher CO2 levels, as well as a greater susceptibility to viral and bacterial pneumonia, and as warned by German neurologist, MD, and PhD, Dr. Margareta Greis-Brissen, um, children who wear masks long-term are more susceptible to brain damage due to oxygen deprivation. We ignored the effects of lockdown while countless epidemiologists warned against the consequences resulting in suicides, alcohol, drug-related injury, increased domestic violence rates, etc., in the Great Barrington Declaration, having been signed by tens of thousands of doctors around the world, created by three of the world's top epidemiologists, calls for us to resume normal activity to incur herd immunity. Of course, this declaration is being declared a hoax, because anything actual doctors and scientists state opposed to the official narrative must certainly be a hoax, although they risk everything, while the official narrative followers stand to profit exponentially. But you be the judge. We accepted the COVID tests. Despite the mind-blowing inaccuracy as proven by Dr. Mike Eden, a former CSO at Pfizer, 
and Dr. Claire Craig, NHS pathologist, showing a 97% inaccuracy of the PCR tests, these tests being used to fuel the hysteria train. And now we're being led to forced injection. Who will be the first? Medical staff. Where will they turn? Who can they turn to? Their company is forcing the vaccine by threat of job loss. Well, it is here and now where they must point the finger at their companies and make them make the only threat their employers will know, lawsuits. If I may, I wish to make a statement to these medical companies on behalf of health workers. As the rushed COVID-19 vaccine is being officially approved by various countries around the world and government officials are declaring healthcare employees to be the first recipients, medical staff are experiencing great concern for their freedom of choice and personal health. The flu vaccine has existed since the 1930s and still to this day is known to cause conditions such as shoulder injury, Guillain-Barre syndrome, transverse myelitis, neuromyelitis optica, acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, uh, CIPD, optic neuritis, brachial neuritis, seizures, peripheral neuropathy, encephalopathy, cerebellar ataxia, just to name a few. So to predict the implications of an experimental vaccine is utterly impossible, especially as no medical exemptions are being discussed, nor has any safety, efficacy, quality, or toxicological data been provided by these vaccine makers. Bill Gates himself admitted in a CNBC interview that one in 10,000 people will experience side effects from the vaccine. This may sound like an insignificant number, but even 700,000 vaccine injuries worldwide is an extraordinarily conservative prediction, considering four trial volunteers who received the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine developed Bell's palsy, a totally unexpected side effect. There will be countless other unexpected side effects, as this is, this is an mRNA vaccine never having been used on any human population in the history of medicine. The CDC are currently drawing up protocol for dealing with the negative vaccine health effects. The MHRA are urgently seeking an artificial intelligence software tool to process the high volume of COVID-19 vaccine adverse drug reactions. Dr. Yeadon and Dr. Wodarg have requested a stop of all corona vaccination as the vaccine contains a spike protein called Syncytin-1, vital for the formation of human placenta in women Therefore, this vaccine could lead to infertility in women of an unspecified duration. These doctors are not alone in fighting mandatory vaccinations. Dr. Jane M. Orient will be testifying before a Senate committee in opposition to mandatory vaccinations, while a Facebook group called NHS Workers for Choice, No Restrictions for Declining a Vaccine, is gaining thousands of doctors and nurses to their movement. One of the side effects of the COVID-19 vaccine is actually COVID-like symptoms, which will leave medical facilities even more understaffed than they already are, leading to an indeterminable effects upon the patients, which will certainly result in charges against the company for medical malpractice. These COVID-like effects have proven worse upon second injection, causing two rounds of staff depletion and potential long-term side effects for all those injected. Meanwhile, this vaccine does not prevent infection. It merely reduces symptoms if infection occurs, creating asymptomatic carriers and a false sense of security. The trials in the study of this vaccine, although rushed to an unscientific degree, did show potential for transverse myelitis, cytokine storm, and antibody-dependent enhancement. 
Mind you, the participants were of ideal health, so the effects on those with comorbidities or unknown underlying health conditions may experience adverse reactions the likes we've never witnessed before. In fact, two participants died in the Pfizer trial, both three days after vaccination. When vaccine injuries do occur, as they inevitably will, seeing as two NHS workers experience anaphylaxis on the very first day of vaccination, who will be at fault? Who will be liable? The 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act indemnified vaccine manufacturers, while the PrEP Act indemnified all makers of COVID-related medications and treatments. However, no law, no regulation, no act protects the company who mandates the vaccine for employment. You, the employer, remain liable. So who do you think these lawsuits will target? It behooves you to research the cost of vaccine injury lawsuits, as they will certainly come your way unless you protect the rights of your employees in allowing their freedom of medical choice. Sincerely, Nuremberg Code Advocate. Um, next episode, Caroline will be rejoining us and uh, hopefully it'll be on a more lighthearted note and hopefully uh, more, uh, more movements, more protests, more actions will be taken against the government uh, in stopping this mandated vaccine, in stopping the government's addiction to this vaccine, stopping them right in their damn tracks, and making sure that our children don't have to grow up being uh, poisoned every fucking year. Oh, cursed. I tried to go uh, one podcast without using the F word. Blew it. Well, I think that's a good place to sign off. Love, peace, happiness. Signing off. Deuces.